So, 1 Peter chapter 3, and um, a verse that may be familiar to you. Um, do recall uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. I'm going to read that from the ESV. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always be prepared to make an offense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So this is a, a well-known scripture verse that talks about kind of the, the calling for every believer to be uh, a missionary. That's maybe not the word that we'd attach to this. This verse is often brought up in context apologetics or evangelism, but it's our, our missionary calling that every Christian should expect at some point to have someone say, what is it with you anyway? Now the context of 1 Peter is persecution, but not the um, kind of soldier with a sword at your door in the middle of the night form of persecution. Um, a form of persecution that would be a bit more subtle. Um, yeah, I'll press this button. There's our scripture verse. It was there for a second. Right. There we go. Um, a little more subtle form of persecution in which um, people were being shunned in friendship. Think high school, right? Think, think the kids you want to eat lunch with at at, at lunchtime in your high school and they didn't want to have anything to do with you. That's the form of persecution that's going on when this book is written. That, uh, you know, sort of social, like we're, we just don't want to associate with you. And um, what that meant was it's hard, for, it's hard to earn a living because in the Roman Empire, um, if you say we're a, a tradesman, maybe you're a plumber, then in order to be employed, you had to be part of the appropriate trade guild. And so you would attend what would feel like a worship service uh, with offerings made to the relevant god or goddess of plumbing, right? And um, if you're a Christian and you don't feel that you can participate in that, then not only does no one want to be your friend, no one wants to hire you. So that's the kind of persecution that was happening when this letter was being written. And so Peter is saying, in that context, be prepared that some people are going to approach you. Well, this is not helpful, is it? Um, all right, so we're going to do this. We're going to put the, um, put the TV out of its misery. And um, I'll use this when I need it. Um, Here's Peter saying, just think of the context for a moment. He's not saying, expect people to walk up to you and say, I've heard about this great new belief system you're a part of, and I want to be part of it too. Could you please tell me how to become a Christian? Now, on occasion, and sometimes in places, those kinds of encounters happen. Peter's not getting us ready for that kind of encounter, is he? He's getting us ready for the kind where somebody says, what's wrong with you? Why do you people hate your neighbors? Why are you atheists? Why do you have only one God? 
when we know there are thousands of gods? Why are you causing everything that's going wrong in our culture? The crops are failing because you're atheists and the gods are displeased with you. Right? There's civil unrest because you live in our city. What is wrong with you? And Peter is saying, hey, when that happens to you, be ready to give the reason why you have hope and why your hope is not in the gods and the goddesses. Be ready in a hostile climate when people may not want anything to do with you and they may think everything you believe is ridiculous. Be ready in that climate to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Notice that Peter doesn't say, be ready to make a defense to the respectful people or the reasonable people or the calm people, <laughs> right? Anyone. And then he goes on to say, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So ex expect that you may be asked, why is it that you believe something different from what most of us believe? And no matter the level of hostility or ridicule with which the question comes, Peter says, be ready to make the response with two, two words, right? Gentleness and respect. Uh, the word for gentleness in the New Testament essentially means responding without anger, even when anger would seem to be justified. So uh, that's the kind of context in which Peter is talking to every Christian and saying uh, this is not just something that pastors should be ready to do. It's not just something that missionaries should be ready to do. Um, it's not just something that uh, trained evangelists should be ready to do. This is everybody who has hope in Jesus should be ready. So today is talking about getting ready and doing that in some practical ways. Um, so I'm going to uh, keep using my notes even though you can't see them a little bit of review some of the things we've been learning three missionary skills and three cultural trends if you remember over the past few weeks the skills that we've been talking about missionaries have to learn a new language we've been trying to learn the language of our neighbors who are nuns n-o-n-e-s right uh, people who say I, I don't have any religious affiliation at all. Um, I may have religious beliefs, but I'm exercising them kind of solo by myself. And uh, remind us roughly the percentage of the U.S. population that says they are nuns. Anybody remember a, a number just in the ballpark? What's that right now? 30? Around 30. Some sources will say it's 25, some will say it's 35. Um, it depends on what age group you're talking about, too. If you're talking about Gen Z, so, um, you know, uh, that would be the age of our youngest children. 50% um, of Gen Z is in this category. So uh, the younger you go, the bigger the number gets, right? Whole population, somewhere 25, 30%. Uh, younger age groups, getting up uh, toward 50. We're trying to learn the language of our neighbors who believe that um, 
connection with a religious community or tradition is either unhelpful or unnecessary. And uh, that group is growing in our culture. The second skill we've been trying to learn is how do you navigate this new culture? And so that's where we had to talk about three trends in our culture. The first that we talked about is expressive individualism, just the big idea that um, every person can kind of invent truth or reality and you pick and choose the facts that tend to support the reality that you're inventing for yourself. Um, That's a very different way of thinking about reality than uh, would have been the case, say, 40, 50, 100, 200 years ago. And so that may sound uh, new and different. Got to get used to operating in a culture where uh, many people assume that. And um, we can have a lot of apples and oranges conversations if we're not aware that that's what's happening in our culture. So trend number one, expressive individualism. Number two, um, saturation. This idea that I know everything I need to know about religion. I, um, many nuns will feel that they're at, they're at that place. I don't want to have a conversation where you try to explain this to me because I already know it. Um, in fact, in talking with some seniors from our uh, IDX student ministry here at InTown, uh, they say that many of their friends who aren't Christians, that's their perspective toward Christianity. I don't need to hear more about what you believe. I already understand it. I don't need to hear more about the Bible. I already know what the Bible says. Now, again, that may sound strange and different to you, especially if you're a maturing Christian. You're like, I, there's so much I still have to learn. I, I I'm just now beginning to understand so many of the truths of Scripture. And so the notion that someone could say, mm, I'm, I'm good, got everything I need to know. Uh, saturation. And the third is deconstruction. We talked a bit about that last week. Um, this kind of idea that the, the more traditional a belief or a belief system is, the less likely is to have anything relevant to say to us. So deconstruction is your, your kind of trying to, to um, uh, identify all the ways of looking at reality that have been imposed on the world. And it's a way of shooting down almost any um, sort of traditional mindset looking at the world. Right? Well, we, we can't believe that anymore because that was just a construct that was being imposed on reality centuries ago or decades ago or millennia ago. Now, most deconstructionists don't want you to turn around and apply that standard to their own ways of thinking and living, right? Would it be fair if I deconstruct your deconstruction? Um, And, 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 uh, you know, we we talked about uh, Jacques Derrida, the French uh, um, philosopher who kind of pioneered this movement. And um, strangely, he, he wrote about how, you know, a written text, the meaning of that text outlives the author. So a text can come to mean over time almost anything we want it to, no matter what the author had in mind. So if I were to read Derrida's works and say they verify a biblical view of reality and they they. They support Christianity. 
theoretically, everybody would have to accept that interpretation. Right? He's no longer living. The text is outliving its author. So it's, it's, a, it's not an especially consistent way of looking at the world. And yet, it is the most common way of looking at the world in Western culture right now. So, a couple of skills we have to learn. One is new language. What's the language of the nuns? Two is how do we navigate a new culture? How do we, how do we um, process a culture in which ghosts? We'll get there later. Um, and then the third thing we talked about in terms of missionary skill is translating the gospel into friendship. Remember that... Um, our IDX seniors, talking with them, said, here's some good news. People may not be open to Christianity right now, but they're open to friendships with Christians. And so one of our greatest tools as ambassadors of Jesus is friendship. And you don't have to go to a special missionary school to learn how to be some ice friend. Um... So what would that look like? Well, we'll, we'll hear from Randy Pope and uh, say a little bit more about friendship. So recently I was able to uh, be at an event where Randy Pope was speaking and he kind of led us through a, a quick version of his, his uh, three-step outreach training. You know, Randy is known and has been for decades um, as, as a guy who's uh, really bold in sharing his faith and um, wanting to equip the church to do that. And so, you know, you, uh, you get ready for these profound things, and Randy's like, hey, here it is. Outreach training in three steps. Greet, befriend, invite. Oh, wow. What do you mean by greet? It's something profound, isn't it? He's like, yeah, greet means walk up to somebody and say, hello, my name's Jimmy. What's yours? That's step one. <laughs> Phase one is done. <laughs> um, just, um, I, I think what he's getting at is, is kind of we, we live in a world that's increasingly fragmented and isolated, and even such a small thing as just walking up to a stranger and telling them your name, right, is, uh, can, can break through a whole lot of the... Um, the false connectedness that we have in a digital age. And so uh, the good old-fashioned, you know, acting like you're wearing one of those name tags, hello, my name is, um, greet somebody, then befriend them. And um, when Randy talked about that, he said, look, this is, a, this is not a project. Like, people are real. And, and, and the step one in befriending somebody is something that we mentioned last week, is to treat them as a real person. Nobody you ever talk to is the representative of a category. You won't ever talk to a nun in that sense. You won't ever talk to somebody who's an abstract uh, idea or a, or a, you know, they, they are just the instantiation of these cultural trends. Um... They're a real person, and their reasons for um, being suspicious of organized religion are probably fairly complex. 
And you probably couldn't find exactly that set of reasons described in any textbook or article. You can find some of them. I mean, there are some general trends, right? But every person you ever meet is made in God's image. You have something in common with them that's greater than the things that separate you. Now, we're not naive. People differ over important things, and those differences are real. Um, and they can make conversation difficult sometimes. But, I mean, we, we trust what God says. He made us all in His image. Every person you ever meet is passionate about something. Because they were made to be passionate about God and the, the good gifts He's given us in His world. Everybody you meet wants to talk to you about something. They want you to listen to what they have to say. And we talked last week about one, one aspect of friendship is listening well. Um, listening to the other person the same way you would want them to listen to you. So uh, it's not real friendship if, if we're kind of, would you hurry up and finish what you're saying because I want to talk to you about Jesus. Right? I, I have a project to complete and um, your, your, your words are standing in the way of me finishing my project. That's not good listening, right? But just befriending somebody. Greet, hello, my name is Jimmy. Start talking, start listening. And one of the things that Randy said as he was walking us through this was simply, um, you don't know how, how long friendship's going to last. I mean, this, this could be somebody you are, you know, together in the airport waiting for an hour and you may never see them again or this may be somebody who's you know comes a lifelong friend and you know each other for decades and um, just see where God takes friendship and then the third thing he mentioned was be ready to invite someone invite them to do something together that would help them to explore the claims of Christianity now, obviously, that's uh, probably not the thing you do within 30 seconds of meeting someone and making, making a new friend. Um, what are some of the kinds of things that you could invite someone to do? So I, was, I made myself a list the other day. Um, conversation. Invite them to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. You know, it could be something like, hey, we have a lot of fun talking about a lot of things. I wonder if the next time we get together, we could spend some time talking about this religion that you've said you understand. Let's talk about Christianity. Or maybe it goes like, um, you've told, I've heard you say a few times that you reject God. And I'm really happy to hear you say that. Because when you talk about God, it sounds like you're talking about somebody who should be rejected. Can we talk about that some more the next time we're together? One-on-one -on -one conversation. Um, don't be afraid of having a two-on-one -on -one conversation. Invite somebody to um, talk with you and, and invite a pastor or a friend along. Um, I've had opportunity to do that a few times over the years. It's been really fun uh, where a friend is like, I've got this coworker. I have no idea what to say to him when he starts talking about X. Would you mind coming to lunch with us? Yeah. Uh, Randy says occasionally he shows up at, at invitations like that, and he's a life coach. It's like, 
I don't think they would show up if you told them your pastor was coming with you, but everybody likes a little coaching, and uh, well, I'm a pretty good life coach, so can I come be your life coach for lunch? Um, conversation is good. Um, you can invite someone to read something or listen to a podcast, but here's, I think the key is that we have to be willing to do that together. That doesn't mean you have to sit and same space and listen to the podcast simultaneously but but like instead of a here's a book you go read it and we'll never talk about it again and I hope Jesus does his magic in your life and I never have to have that conversation with you um you know like a I'd be willing to read through this book with you and talk about it if you'd be up for that um what would be some good books well, man, I want to be able to show you pictures of these. Okay, all right, so mind pictures or get your phone out and uh, Google The Answer by Randy Pope. That's a great uh, summary of the Christian message, and it's aimed at people who are a little reluctant already, right? So it's not for the end crowd. Um, a second book to think of would be a book by Tim Keller. I'm make sure I get the right title here. Tim Keller has two books uh, the, the answer is very short. So if you were looking for a resource to point someone to, um, sound presentation of Christianity in categories that every human being can identify with, but it's not going to take forever to read, right? The, the, the answer by Randy Pope is, is your book. If you're talking to somebody who's, who wants to take more time and be a bit more thoughtful and in-depth, then a couple of books by Tim Keller would be good. You may have heard of The Reason for God. The subtitle is Belief in an Age of Skepticism. The Reason for God is written for people who are asking questions and they don't know the answers. So this is someone who is kind of like, I, I think I want to know more about religion or about Christianity, and I have some fundamental questions, and I don't know whether they can be answered. The reason for God is written for that person. The person who thinks that just maybe there might be answers out there to their questions. Then Keller wrote another book, and um, again, I want to get the title right. It's called Making Sense of God. An Invitation to the Skeptical. So this book is written for somebody who's not asking questions because they don't think there are any answers. So it kind of starts further back with a, a more deep-rooted skepticism. So if you knew somebody who was open to the fact that there might be some sensible answers to very serious questions about religious belief or Christian belief in particular... A Reason for God was written for that audience. Maybe there are answers. I'm open to hearing them. I might, not, I might not embrace them, but at least I'm open to hearing them. Whereas the, the follow-up book starts further back, Greater Skepticism. It's a, an invitation to the skeptical. This is not just somebody who's living in an age of skepticism, but they themselves are that skeptical, making sense of God. So there's just a few books that would be good. Um, yes. Woohoo! Okay, we got a, a box of books by Randy Pope. Um, thank you, Holly. So um, would you hold that up real quick? 
If you go online and search for this book, you may find a, an older version of it that's a brown, kind of brown and orangish cover. The latest version is this white one. Um, the older one is great. If you've got a copy of that, don't pitch it out. But if you're looking to order a new one, or if you'd like to pick up a new one this morning, you can grab that. Um, I've been working on a document that I, I want to make available uh, to us here at N-Town, and it's, uh, un- it's, it's even shorter than the answer. I don't think it's as rich and full, but it's a, um, like three pages on what are the core things that Christians believe anyway. And um, I wrote it for um, some folks in our IFC community. Um, so it, it's, in its current version, it's written for people who, um, who may need more help with the English language. So it's, it's written on kind of a fifth or sixth grade reading level. I'd like to update it a little bit for a wider audience. Um, but uh, I think that could be a helpful tool as well work on that some more and let you know about it how about a couple of podcasts um there's one called unbelievable that i would recommend if you uh search for it online it'll come up under the the word unbelievable with a question mark after it um and it's it's hosted by a young man named justin Brierley. um he's from the uk what's interesting to me about this podcast is that it's one of the only ones I know that regularly invites atheists and skeptics onto the show. So it isn't a, we read article so-and-so by this atheist, and we're now going to carve it up and say everything that's wrong about it. There are actual friendships among the leaders of this podcast and well-known atheists in Britain, and and they talk a lot. (laughs) And sometimes they record their conversations. So I would, I would think if you're talking to someone who's doubtful about the, the validity or usefulness of religion, it, it may help to offer them a resource where some of their own ways of thinking actually get voiced, right? And so here's, a, this, this podcast is produced from a Christian perspective, very solid, um, and enjoyed the things I've listened to from them. Um, and yet they do make more of an effort to, um, to build friendships and reflect that in some of their episodes um, with, with folks who don't share their own beliefs. Um, now, speaking of the UK for a minute, um, they've been dealing with the rise of the nuns much longer than we have, right? So in the US, this trend started to accelerate in the 2000s. When we lived in Aberdeen, Scotland in the early 1990s, um, the nuns present in that city, according to the polling done when we lived there, 89%. Right? That's, that's, a, that's three decades ago. And so what we're looking at in the western world right now is is kind of um, post-world war ii trajectories um, and movements in philosophy that have have been afoot for several decades and have taken root first in western europe and then spread to the uk and are making their way across across the 
the big pond, right? Um, so we may be able to learn something from our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world who have been uh, dealing with these trends. And one of the things that I learn as I listen to this podcast is just that reality of friendship. So we're walking through kind of Randy Pope's training for outreach, right? Introduce yourself, greet, uh, be a good friend, which involves a lot of listening, a lot of asking questions, and, um, and then in, invite your friend to do something together that would help them explore the claims of Christianity. Conversation, read a book, listen to a podcast. Um, I'll mention one more time the Liturgists podcast. So if Unbelievable is a good podcast uh, from a Christian perspective, the Liturgists would be a helpful thing to listen to from an, uh, the perspective of those who are deconstructing their Christian faith or maybe deconstructing religious belief completely. So if you wanted to hear a good representation of what do um, thoughtful nuns in our culture have to say about this topic or that? The Liturgist podcast would be a good resource. Um, so, you know, pick some episodes, listen to those together with someone else. Um, you can always invite someone to attend something. Um, it would make sense if some nuns weren't especially interested in attending a religious worship service, so maybe inviting somebody to a worship service together may not be the very first choice. Um, one of the things we're trying to pay more attention to at In Town is making sure that we are creating more of the kinds of events that a wider range of people would feel comfortable joining you and attending with you. Um, so, for example, uh, concerts around Christmas time um, and uh, so we're trying to make sure that we're paying good attention to that alright that's Randy Pope let's talk about ghosts um, why are we going to talk about ghosts yes The, the Liturgist podcast is uh, not from a Christian perspective, right? The, the people who are producing that are themselves in the process of, or they have completed the process of kind of deconstructing their Christian faith. Again, we talked about, a little bit about that last week. So um, if you were to listen to the early seasons of that podcast... You would, it would sound like people who are wrestling with whether they want to continue holding on to some of their Christian beliefs. But as the seasons have gone on, and, and they've moved at different rates, and so you, you might find one person speaking from a, but, but maybe we can hold on to some of it still, and others are in a, nope, we kind of left that behind, and we've got to find a new way. Um, so it's, but it would be a, a well-known um, and thoughtful engagement with a wide range of issues so that uh, if you wanted to hear sort of what, 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 was a, what would a, a thoughtful nun think or say about 
this topic or that, right? Um, so don't go to the liturgists if you're looking for something to kind of express strong, robust uh, Christian belief. That's not what you'll find in that source. Um, whereas with unbelievable, you would get that. Um, and, uh, and even when they invite um, atheistic thinkers on as dialogue partners on unbelievable, uh, everyone knows it's still coming from a, a Christian perspective as a, as a whole podcast. So a couple, couple resources there. Um, <clears throat> let's, let's put some skills to practice here. All right. Living with ghosts. This is um, this week. I, I found an article in the New York Times. The headline caught my eye, and I wanted to put it up here so we could all read it, see it together. Um, How to live with a ghost? Many Americans believe that their home is inhabited by ghosts. A conviction that researchers attribute. This is the uh, the kind of the teaser under the headline, right? The headline is how to live with a ghost. By the way, this isn't a real estate section. It's not the cultural trends section or the religion section or the ethics section. It's in the real estate section. How to live with a ghost. Many Americans believe their home is inhabited by ghosts. Conviction that researchers attribute to the rise of paranormal-related media, a decline in religious beliefs, and the pandemic. It's really the first time I saw this online, it, that little teaser read differently. Instead of a decline in religious beliefs, it said a decline in religious affiliation. That's what caught my eye. I'm like, oh, that's the rise of the nuns. That's what we're talking about. I want to read this article now. Well, so I start reading the article. Here's what I find. Um, Again, that little teaser came from the text of the article. Many Americans believe that their home is inhabited by someone or something that isn't a living being. In October this year, October study from the Utah-based home security company Vivint found that nearly half of the thousand homeowners they surveyed believed that their house was haunted. That's a lot of people, isn't it? What's half of a thousand? That's 500. That, that's a lot. I would not have guessed it was going to be that high. I would have guessed 50. I'm not great with numbers, but that would have been my guess, 50. Another survey of a thousand people by Real Estate Witch, an education platform for home buyers and sellers, found similar results with 44% of respondents saying they've lived in a haunted house. Okay, does that sound familiar? What's one of the things that we've said about nuns? Are all nuns atheists? No. Do all nuns hate all supernatural belief? No. So, as we're seeing the rise of of the nuns, the religiously unaffiliated in our culture... Is it going to be totally shocking if we see a rise in the number of people who think they share their house with a ghost? No. Like, okay. 
Um, now here we get closer to the, the rise of the nuns data. Researchers attribute increasing belief in the supernatural to the rise of media related to paranormal activia, activity, a decline in religious affiliation and the pandemic. Uh, so now you know when you read this article, you're going to read three sections about those three things, right? With so many people believing that they live with ghosts, a new question arises. How does one live with ghosts? Now, is that the first question you would ask? If you knew that more people were thinking they live with ghosts, what would your first question be? <laughs> All right, I mean, if, put it on a real visceral level. How could you be so stupid? What's wrong with you? Ghosts aren't real. Um, and this is where we have to remember our calling as missionaries, right? What does Peter say? Be ready. <laughs> Be ready to give a defense. When? Always. To whom? Anyone. And even somebody who thinks they live with a ghost? Yep. Anyone. Anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. Yet do it. With gentleness and respect, unless they believe in ghosts, then you can mock them. <laughs> right? No. And, and so a huge part of our calling as missionaries is just being ready to love the actual person who's in front of you. And a humility that says, you know, there have been times in my own life when I've believed some things that were radically untrue. And the Lord has been really kind to me time for me to show similar kindness to someone else right so i get it there's a kind of temptation to ridicule um and yet we're called to something very different um now so i read some of the uh, i got pretty deep down the rabbit hole this week reading this um so i read some of the comments as readers respond to this article and one reader made, I thought, a pretty profound point. They said, what do, you, what do you think would happen if we wrote an article like this and said, a new question arises, how does one live with, and then fill in the name of the latest conspiracy theory, how does one live with the knowledge that this election was stolen? How does one live with the knowledge that you know, pizza parlors are trafficking children. How does one live with the knowledge that? It would be, how does one live with the knowledge that Jesus was resurrected on the first Easter Sunday? Like you can imagine, there are certain questions that would be hard for a New York Times writer to, to write and it passed through the editorial process. But we live in an era where seriously asking, how do you share your house with ghosts, makes it through the process. It's not fair. And that's okay. And if our first thought as Christians is, it's not fair. Y'all are not being fair to us. We're going to have a hard time doing what Peter calls us to. Right? 
Be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you with gentleness and respect as long as they're treating you fairly. But we already said, was Peter writing to people who were being treated fair? No. He was writing to people who were experiencing persecution. He was writing to people who were every day being treated unfairly. And writing to those people, he says, you know what? Jesus is Lord. So in your hearts, set him apart as holy. He's the Lord. And that means he's, he's the one who's going to care for you, protect you, uphold you, give you words to say. He's going to be with you. You're not going to be alone. Everyone in the world can reject you and nobody be your friend and he still will be there. You may not be able to get work for a while. He's going to meet your needs. How's he going to do that? I, we don't know exactly at any given moment how he's going to do it. But he, he is the Lord. He's going to keep all his promises to his people. And that becomes a foundation for saying, even if I'm not being treated fairly, even if I wrote my article, it might not make it into the New York Times. It, it's okay. Um, yeah, we live in that kind of world. All right. How does one live with ghosts? Uh, there's a woman quoted here who talks about Gen Z, about younger people. And she makes a comment about why more young people might be open to the reality of ghosts and the paranormal. Her name is Sharon Hill. So here's a paragraph saying, Sharon Hill, the author of 2017 book called Scientifical Americans, the culture of amateur paranormal researchers, said, many are no longer fearful of ghosts because we've been so habituated to them by the media. And then she said this, haunted houses can also be a way to connect to the past. What does deconstruction do? What do we deconstruct? Traditional beliefs, traditional ways of thinking about the world. So deconstruction is, is a way of cutting yourself off from the past. What do you do when you cut yourself off from the past? You've got to find new ways to connect to the past. It's interesting, isn't it? Sounds a little silly. We're talking about ghosts. But it's a very real issue of the human heart. I've got to live in a world that makes some sense. And I can't live in a world that reinvents itself from scratch every day. There has to be some continuity with where we came from. Some continuity with the past. But everything I'm hearing tells me reject it if it's in the past. What C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery, right? And anything that happened before is worthless. A way to connect to the past or a sense of enchantment in the everyday world. What is it about the world that you and I live in every day that says the world has lost all of its enchantment? Can you think of things that, that are going on in our culture, things you know, sort of that would say there, there really is nothing enchanting about our world? 
What comes to mind, Bruce? I'll give you a practical example. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so there's kind of a mundaneness, a repetition of uh, routine, you know, and um, even on basic things that used to have a little drama attached to them, right? So, so, well, I mean, think about in the past, where will we get food for the winter? That was a pretty dramatic question. And if we don't go out and get it right at the end of summer, we may have a hungry, lean winter. Well, now, most of us, where are we going to get food from the winter? Same place we got food for the spring, same place we got food for the summer. Like, it's the Kroger, it's the Publix. We're not. So there's some routines of life that seem to have lost their drama, right? Yeah, anything else that kind of take some of the, the joy and enchantment and excitement out of the everyday. Christy? Yeah. Um, so, uh, can you say it one more time louder? <laughs> Maybe. Just pace of life, hustle and bustle, hurrying so much. Every, the enchantment is sucked out by the sense of to do. Got to get to this and to this and to this and to this. Um, how many of you are watching this happen to your kids as they play sports? You got kids who are doing sports right now? Are they having fun with it? Or is it work? Right? I mean... It, Everything is kind of getting ramped up in our culture to, you know, you don't just go do something as a hobby anymore. You don't just go do something for fun anymore. It becomes a resume builder. Um, when, when Caroline worked as an intern with RUF at uh, Stanford University, she said to us that uh, in order to build your resume for your grad school program, as an undergraduate, you have to take all the right undergraduate courses. So they had training seminars on how to write an application to get into the right course. Right? Have fun at university, kids. <sighs> and, and Chrissy, what you're talking about, that sense of um, hustle and busy and full schedule... I think it's not just time, it's not just full in terms of time, it's full in terms of weight. Like the, whole, the weight of everything is on me constantly. And then we're saying, what are we saying intellectually, scientifically? It all came from nothing. And it's all going back to nothing. And there's not any enchantment in the world because it's just chemistry and some physics, unless you get to high-level physics, and then the, the enchantment comes back in with quantum cats and entanglement, and wow! But don't let anybody hear you. There's, this, there's a whole lot of disconnect, right? Um, okay.
So, all right, I want to want to test something out on you. Uh, one commenter who responded to this article said, um, "Wow, just in time for Halloween." Um, and, and then went on to say this, the non-religiously affiliated, or what are now referred to as nuns, so far so good, are more likely to accept rational explanations for spooky occurrences or coincidences. What do you think? Are the nuns more likely to accept rational explanations than explanations that appeal to ghosts? Yeah, what, what's rational? There's a, there's a possibility here that the writer is assuming that as people exit organized religion, they are also leaving behind beliefs in the supernatural. Is that necessarily true? Yeah. Yeah, so it's an interesting, um, I, I suspect that it is the case that many people who are leave, leaving uh, religion are doing so because of scientific um, tension. Like, I, I don't think this is scientifically, um, holds water, and so I'm leaving it behind. But, but what I'm noticing is this, this tendency, while saying that, at the same time, we see more and more people in our culture becoming more open to um, belief in the supernatural. And, and I wouldn't be shocked if you'll find somebody who's holding those two things side by side. Now, do, how is that a hopeful thing for us in terms of building friendships? Do you believe in the supernatural? Well, as, a, as a follower of Jesus, yes, I do. That doesn't mean I'm going to believe every story about a haunted house. That I, but, but if I'm talking to somebody who thinks the world should have some enchantment to it, and there should be something beyond nature at work in this world, that's a great place to begin a conversation. Um, and so uh, one, one other last line from this response I won't give the name of the person. Um, they go on to say this. It is those who believe in the one true God and his one true faith, uh, capitalized, right? Because that's how you do that. One true God and his one true faith who have invented a whole book devoted to supernatural events, virgin births, walking on water, and similar miracles, angels, devils, and holy ghosts. Experts need to refrain from using survey results to prove cause and effect among the gullible. Um, so, it's going to be hard to have a conversation with a person who labels you as gullible. So this person is probably not going to have a lot of deep conversations with people who believe in ghosts. That's kind of something you and I have to re remember. If we're wanting to build friendships with nuns, if that's part of our missionary calling in our time and place, remember Peter's words, gentleness and respect. 
blowing somebody off as gullible, blowing somebody off as, ah, you're just 25 and you think you got the world figured out. And once you're my age, nobody wants to hear that. They're not going to listen to anything I say about Jesus if I'm just looking down at them. Um, And remember, we said earlier, the world's not necessarily going to be fair to those who walk with Jesus as Lord. The Jesus who is Lord was crucified. We shouldn't be surprised if following him involves enduring our own share of unfairness. And so, you know, who's to blame uh, for the ills of the world? It's the believers in the one true God, according to the person who wrote this. Um, And so, I think if I were going to start a conversation with that person, I might start it here. Tell me about this one true God that you don't believe in. What's that God like? And that might lead to a place of going, I don't believe in that kind of God either. Why is it that neither of us wants to believe in a God like that? Where do you think that comes from? Or it might start with a question like, some of the things you're saying here, there's a lot of passion behind them. Where's that passion coming from? Right? Learning from Randy Pope. How do you become somebody's friend? Ask a question that helps you get to know them. It's not just, you're not just wanting to hear the words they say. You want to get to know them. Um, And doing all that, as Peter says, with gentleness and respect. Well, let me pray for us and we'll go worship together. Um, Thanks for being on this journey for several weeks and learning about what's going on in our world so that we can know what God is going to do in our world. I believe he's going to equip his people to reach um, this growing number of nuns. Don't know how he's going to do that. I trust that he's going to. Let's pray together.